Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray for this message today. Uh, this introduction, that's all it is. This introduction today of, of what your ha- word has for us in the, ne- in the coming weeks about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Praise God. Lord, help us to learn the, the importance of the kingdom of heaven. And we thank you, Lord, for it. In your name I pray. Amen. And I'll ask, Dacia, is this recording? Cool, thank you. All right, here we go. If you turn to your Bibles in Matthew 13, 24, uh, you're going to kind of find this a little bit humorous because uh, I'm going to read, and then we're not going to look anymore at, at uh, Matthew 13 for the next couple of weeks. But it's going to launch us into this, this, uh, this discussion of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in Matthew 13, 24, it says, Jesus told them another parable, and here it was. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he went on in Matthew 13 and in other parts of Mark and parts of Luke to describe different aspects of the kingdom of heaven. He said it's like a mustard seed. It's like somebody sowing uh, seed. He gave a lot of examples, but we're not going to get into that for the next two weeks. It's probably going to be about three weeks before we get into Matthew 13. First, I'd like to introduce to you the kingdom of heaven uh, as, as God shows it to be in the Old Testament. We're going to start in the Old Testament. So we're, we're launched through Matthew 13, 24 into discussion of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, it's important when you read Jesus speaking of the kingdom of heaven, it's important to understand what God described the kingdom of heaven to look like in the Old Testament. We need to go back into the Old Testament, understand what, what God's original intentions were, how God expected to do things, because God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He didn't give us just the New Testament. He gave us the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they're supposed to be seen and studied one with the other, one with the other. And so what I'd like you, our anchor scripture is going to be in Daniel 2.44, so you can turn there and look at it. As you're turning, let me tell you the story of Daniel 2. Let me tell you the story of Daniel 2. Nebuchadnezzar, do you know who Nebuchadnezzar was? All right. He was the emperor uh, call it the founding emperor. I'm, I know there was kings before him, but he's the one that really took the Babylonian empire to a whole different level. <laughs> he was the man. And at that point in history, he was the greatest man in human, from a human perspective to, to be alive. Uh, the Bible even describes and says that he basically had everything under his control and God had placed it under his control. But King Nebuchadnezzar or Emperor Nebuchadnezzar had a dream one night. And he had a dream of a huge statue and that statue had a head of gold, had a chest and arms of silver, had a a stomach or abdomen and thighs of bronze, had legs of iron and had feet of clay and iron. And King Nebuchadnezzar, have you ever had a dream that just dazzled you? All right, King King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and it 
dazzled him. And the, the dream didn't end there, though, but in his dream, a rock was cut out, and the dream doesn't say out of what, but a, a rock was cut out not by human hands, and that rock came down and hit the statue at the feet. Have you ever had a weird dream before? All right, this would probably be classified as a weird dream. And that rock came and hit the statue at the feet, and it literally, I'll use modern-day terms, it literally pulverized the statue. So much so that the Bible described that it was like ch ch uh, chaff, basically like dust, that just blew away and was remembered no more. And yet, the rock turned into a mountain that filled the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar was left with, this dream must have a meaning, and I would like to know what it means. And I won't go into all the details of how Daniel was brought in and interpreted it, but he did. Daniel, an exiled Jew, was brought into the presence of this great emperor to interpret the dream. Not only interpret, actually tell what the dream was, but we won't go into that story. In your experience sheet, you're asked to read Daniel 2, and you'll, you'll get to see the whole story if you do that this week. And so all of that's to say what Daniel said in his interpretation or towards the inter in, end of his interpretation is found in Daniel 2.44, and hopefully you're there now. Let me read it to you. It says... In the time of those kings, which kings are we talking about? Well, the head of gold represented King Nebuchadnezzar. Then there was to be a kingdom that was inferior to his, the, the, the silver, the chest of silver and the arms of silver. And that was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians that would follow the Babylonian empire. After that, the abdomen and the legs of, of uh, bronze or brass was the, uh, the Greek empire. Uh, Alexander the Great, he followed him. And then the legs of iron was the Roman empire that lasted somewhere upwards of a thousand years. It was a long, long-standing empire with emperor after emperor. But what happened is that empire began to... Uh, uh, kind of make deals with the, you know, the Germanic tribes and the English tribes. And before you know it, it got weak. And that was the feat of clay and, and iron, or so is my interpretation. And so uh, it says here, of those kingdoms, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, of those kingdoms, uh, it says, in the time of those kings. Which kings? Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, kings that preceded Nebuchadnezzar, kings that followed Nebuchadnezzar. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. When? In the time of those kings. Not after we die, not when the earth's gone. No, historically, God was setting up the kingdom of heaven. Where? Here on earth. Listen to this. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. There won't be any successors. It will crush those kingdoms. Which kingdoms? The kingdom of earth. All right? And bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. Wow. Wow. 
I never saw that scripture before. I never stopped to think of that scripture before. And yet there it is right in front of my eyes, right in front of your eyes. So today what I'd like to do is just briefly introduce you through this scripture to what the kingdom of heaven was to look like in God's original intention in the, through the Old Testament. Some conclusions that I draw, three, draw three conclusions here in reading this scripture and other scriptures about the historic, the, the historic perspective on the kingdom of heaven. First, God's, listen to this carefully, God's intention from early history was to initially establish his kingdom here on earth. That was God's original intention, to initially establish his kingdom here on earth. If you just stop and meditate on that and think about that, it goes counter to the way we live our Christian lives oftentimes. We think, oh, the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. Yes, it is. But there's, there's some physical aspects to the kingdom of heaven that we totally overlook as Christians. All right? That's number one. Number two, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God throughout history and in our modern times is being established here on earth as we speak. Literally. God's setting up his kingdom here on physical spiritual, literal kingdom, he's setting it up here on earth as we speak. I'll tell you what, that, that changes our perspective. If we start digesting that and believing that, we're going to act different, we're going to talk different, we're going to be different. And thirdly, the kingdom of heaven has and will continue to crush ungodly kingdoms. <laughs> All right? The kingdom of heaven has and will continue to crush ungodly kingdoms. Let's jump into this first one. The first one being God's intention from early history was to establish his kingdom here on earth. Where did I get that from? Well, I get it somewhat from Daniel 2.44, but let's look at Exodus 19.3. Exodus 19.3. And just to remember, Exodus, okay, where is Exodus in the Bible? It's Genesis, Exodus. Who was the story who was described of in Exodus? Who was the main character? Anybody know? Moses. Moses. We got to know these things. We're Christians. We got to read our Bibles. We got to know what Exodus is about. Exodus is what is if I read exit over the sign, that means I'm getting out of here. Exodus means they, the children of Israel were getting out of Egypt. They were exiting Egypt. And so that's what the book of Exodus is about. And so here in Exodus 19. It starts, it says, then Moses went up to God. Went up? What are you talking about? Well, if you read about this, the children of Israel had already come out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea on dry land. The waters had been parted. They went out into the desert, and they went to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And all these two million Israelites were around the perimeter of the mountain, and Moses was going up Mount Sinai. What happened up there? Do you guys remember? What happened in my got the Ten Commandments, right? That's exactly right, Jasmine. A for you, all right? Got the Ten Commandments. And so Moses says here, now that we have the backdrop, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. That's the Israelites, these two million people. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. Verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. He had sent 10 plagues on Egypt. He had pulverized their army, 
kill their Pharaoh just to get these Israelites out of Egypt. He says, so remember that? <laughs> it was just uh, probably about 54 days ago. It's, it's not been too long ago in your memories. And how I carried you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations. Now, when, when the Bible talks about nations, we need to remember that's a kingdom. Out of all the kingdoms of this earth, nations of this earth, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. God says, hey, all these kingdoms are mine. You will be for me, what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And it doesn't say it, but it's very evident here on earth. It's going to be a different type of kingdom. You're going to be priests. You're going to be a holy nation. But all together, here on earth, I'm going to establish my kingdom. I'm not saying it's going to stay here forever, but it's going to start here. That's what we read from this. The kingdom of heaven was initially intended by God to be established here on earth. So we realize the kingdom of heaven, as we as Christians, we always consider the kingdom of heaven a spiritual kingdom, but it has physical attributes, and we need to be aware of those physical aspects here on earth. So let's go through this timeline. Here's Moses. Now Moses was the lawgiver. He received the law from heaven, and he gave it to the, to the Jews. And to this day, Hebrews and Jews... They look to Moses as the lawgiver. He's their hero, as he well should be. He, he was given the law of God. He was, the, he, he was the redeemer of Israel as well. He went in with God's power and pulled those two million slaves out. All right? But after Moses, see, Moses is written about in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All right? That's all about Moses. But what do you think the next book after Moses? Who was Moses' predecessor? Anybody know that? Joshua. Yes. What did I say? Oh, successor. Thank you. Yeah. His successor, not his predecessor. His successor was Joshua. All right? And so what comes right after Deuteronomy is Joshua. And Joshua was the first of Israel's judges. Judges. Not kings, but judges. And we see this whole kind of uh, listing of judges. Because after Joshua, he lived about 120 years and judged Israel, came other judges, other prophets. And here's the thing. As soon as you and I talk about a judge, we think of a courtroom. There's the judge. He gives it. That's not the judge that we're talking about. These judges were mediators between God and the people of Israel. They weren't a king. They were a mouthpiece from God to the people. Just that's what prophets are. A prophet, did you know in this room we have prophets? There are those of you who hear from God, and when you hear from God, you speak the word of God. That means you've got the gift of prophecy. You're listening into God, and you know how to communicate the word of God. Well, there was judges and prophets uh, throughout several hundreds of years, and these folks communicated. They were the middleman between God and the nation or the kingdom of Israel. All right? Now, the last judge was named Samuel. And so I've kind of gone from Moses all the way to Samuel. So if you will turn to 1 Samuel 8, 5 and the following verses, let's see what else is said about 
the kingdom of heaven being established here on earth. 1 Samuel 8, 5. They said to him, they said to Samuel, in other words, the Israelites said to Samuel, now there were well beyond two million people, they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as the other nations or the other kingdoms have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased the prophet Samuel. So he prayed to God and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not uh, you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They've rejected me as their king. See, for all of those years between Moses to Samuel, Israel was a theocracy. Do you know what a theocracy is? It's where your king is the theos, which is God. God was king with simple middlemen or, or mouthpieces to the, to the, to the uh, people of Israel. But they said, we don't like you, God, being our king. We would rather you appoint a physical king, a, a man that can lead us. And we don't want to have to worry about what you have to say, God. We want to listen to a man. And so they rejected God as king, and God realized it. Boy, what does that tell us about us nowadays? <laughs> well, we'll get into that in just a second. They had the same conflict that we have to join or not join the kingdom of heaven. Do I want to be part of the kingdom of heaven and follow God? Or do I want to be part of a kingdom here on earth and follow a man or a woman or just follow myself? It's two, they, they struggle with the same thing that we struggle today with. Do we want to be part of the kingdom of heaven or not? They had the same challenge as we do. So listen to this, though. Becoming aware of the kingdom of heaven. Let's just kind of deviate just for a second here. Becoming aware of the kingdom of heaven occurs when we think of God as our king. When was the last time, other than just right now, when was the last time you thought of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? I asked myself that question this morning. I thought, well, only this week because I've been studying this. But I don't go around thinking about the kingdom of heaven very much. <laughs> and I venture to say that most of us are probably the same. We don't think about the kingdom of heaven. Here's how you begin to think a lot more about the kingdom of heaven is when you start thinking of Jesus as your king. When you think of Jesus as your king, it'll be easy to think about the kingdom of heaven because he is king over that kingdom. What does this mean? Well, I'm going to go through this very quickly, but for God to be king, he's sovereign. He's sovereign. That means he makes what he says goes, and that's it. So if we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're saying, when God, when you say something, that's the law, and that's what we're going to do. It means that he reigns and rules, and I have scriptures for each of these. I'll let you look these sermons up online, by the way. Nada has this in Wit and Wisdom, and you can see our website, and you can go directly there and see all these scriptures. But it means that he reigns and rules. That means he's in charge. It means that he's supreme. It means that he's the decision maker. He makes your decisions, and you follow his decisions. And it means that he's the determiner of your destiny. He's the determiner of your destiny. Several good thoughts there that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, but I encourage you to go to the website and look at these scriptures because you'll find them very interesting. It'll be good for your devotions as well this week. 
But the second thing that, uh, that Daniel 2.44 really points to is that the kingdom of God throughout history and in our modern times is being currently right now established here on earth. So in history it was being established, and right now in our day and age it's being established here on earth as well. 2 Samuel 7.13, this is uh, speaking of Solomon, the son of King David, said he is the one, so, so God's speaking to David, and he says, your son Solomon is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Did you get that? He is the one who will build a house. He was, he was going to build a temple, but here's the most important part. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, hundreds, actually thousands of years ago in the time of King David, God began to set his kingdom up here on earth through King David. He, he was establishing a physical, visible kingdom, the kingdom of David here on earth. And to this day, he continues to establish his kingdom here on earth. We're going to get into this next week and the following week. What does that mean? What does that look like? Psalms 45, 6, it says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be a scepter of your kingdom. And I look at Psalms 145. This is the same kingdom that was being spoken of to Solomon. All right? Psalms 145.13, the kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your, and your dominion endures, what? Throughout all generations. His kingdom right now in our generation is being established here on earth and prepared also for us in heaven. But the most poignant set of scriptures, I believe, that, that, that points this out was Isaiah. Now, let's think about the timeline here. Isaiah came before Daniel. He came before Daniel. He was during the times of the kings of Israel and Judah, but in particular of Judah. And Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, he said, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and listen to this, the government will be on his shoulders. All right? He's talking about a, a government here on earth will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So now we're getting the picture. He's talking about Jesus. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign, listen to this, on David's throne. David's throne, that's the earthly kingdom that was set up through the line of David, Solomon, and all his sons on down the line. And guess whose descendant Jesus was? He was a descendant of David. Isn't that crazy? You look at Luke, look at that, look at the, the, the uh, what is it called? Genealogy, and you'll see, aha, there was an earthly kingdom and Jesus was in, in, of sorts, a descendant of David. And so this, this kingdom, it says, his, he will reign on David's throne and over, his, and over his kingdom and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. Isaiah lived way back, way, way back. All right, from this time forward, here on earth, God is establishing his, his kingdom, just like Daniel said. Let me read it to you just one more time. It says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. 
And we've seen here through several different scriptures that that is in fact was the case and is the case today. I find it interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, this, this godless emperor found in Daniel 4.2, he refers to this kingdom and he says his kingdom, God's kingdom, is an eternal kingdom. <laughs> His dominion endures from generation to generation. So even this godless emperor who eventually got to know who God was, he made the same proclamation that's powerful to us today. Why can't we as Christians live with that kind of victory then? If a godless emperor could do that, why can't we live with that conviction and that victory that the kingdom of heaven is near us? is nearest. And we're going to talk a little bit more, but the final, the third and final conclusion that I draw from uh, Daniel uh, 2.44 is that the kingdom of heaven has and will continue to crush ungodly earthly kingdoms. Ungodly and earthly kingdoms. Uh, there's two examples here. Um, I'm going to talk through one of them, but jot this down so that you can read it. Daniel 5, read it this week. Read Daniel 5, because that's where God's kingdom crushed an earthly kingdom. And then jot down also 2 Kings 19, where there's another example of God's kingdom crushing an ungodly kingdom. And I'll, I'll walk you through the second one in 2 Kings 19. Uh, there, was a, there was an evil, evil king named King Sennacherib. And it's, it's been proven outside of the Bible that these Assyrian kings, he was an Assyrian king, not Syrian, but Assyrian king. They were so vicious. One of the things they'd do is when they conquered a king or conquered a city, they'd take the leader of the king and they'd put a hook through his nose. And they'd, vicious, bloodthirsty people, and they'd pull this guy, make him walk as far as he could, until they got him back to Assyria, where often they would uh, finish him off. Vicious, vicious people. And so King Sennacherib came with his armies, and he besieged. First of all, he took over certain cities in Judah, and then he besieged Jer Jerusalem. And if you read in this, in, this, uh, <laughs> in this story, here's King Hezekiah, all right, a godly king, a godly man, and he's heard of all these other kings getting hooks in their noses and going through horrible things. And so he prays to God, all right? I'm not going to go into all the details here. But it's amazing because uh, uh, the Lord speaks to, uh, he, he speaks to King Hezekiah in verse 32 of 2 Kings 19. He says, therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. This is King Sennacherib. He will not enter the city. He will not shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shields or even besiege, uh, set a, build a, a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it. Why? For the sake of my David, my servant David. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to crush this king that's coming against you. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven, I crush cancer. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven, I crush marriages that are trying to be separated, and I bring them back together. That's the kingdom of heaven, and that's the God that we serve, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That night in verse 35, the angel of the Lord 
the kingdom of heaven, the Lord of hosts that Linda spoke of and my mom spoke of. The Lord of hosts went out and put to death how many? 185,000 people in that Assyrian army. Those people got up the next morning. There was dead bodies strewn all over the place. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp, withdrew. He returned to Nineveh, which was his capital, stayed there. And then one day he was worshiping in the temple of his God and his sons killed him by the sword. Let me tell you what. I'm convinced of this. The kingdom of heaven is going to crush ungodly kingdoms. It's going to crush ungodly kingdoms. Let me give you just three examples, three modern day examples. Never forget this image of the, in, in East Germany, in Berlin, of the wall coming back, coming down in the 80s. Some of us know it, some of us don't. That was shocking. And the Iron Curtain fell one country after another. And all of a sudden, the world was a completely different place. The kingdom of heaven crushes ungodly kingdoms. I think of Nazi Germany. God said, enough's enough. We're putting an end to this. And he ended that, that, uh, uh, that expansionist policy that uh, <laughs> Nazi Germany had and put an end to it. But we don't just think of national types of things. There's other examples. John Lennon, I'm going to read to you a quote he, he said once back in the 60s. In fact, it was in 1966 he was being interviewed. He said, Christianity will go. Do you know who John Lennon was, one of the Beatles? Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're, the mo we're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which, way, which one will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. <laughs> Where's John Lennon now? Where is he? Is he more famous than Jesus? No, of course not. Now, John Lennon, subsequent to that, because he was under great pressure, came to the United States. The South in particular was just uprising because they didn't want to hear this, this guy, and he apologized. But you know what? I listened to his apology. I listened to it last night, and his apology was extremely weak. He was doing that because he was losing his fan base in the United States. But John Lennon died in 1998. He was murdered, and he couldn't even speak because he was choking on his own blood. You know what? I'll tell you what. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he, his kingdom will crush ungodly kingdoms. And I'm not just talking about national kingdoms. I'm talking about spiritual kingdoms, strongholds, people raising themselves up against the knowledge of God, arguments, pretensions. We serve a powerful and a mighty God. We need to understand that the kingdom of heaven is to be established here on earth. In the coming weeks, you're going to see the part that you and I play in order to see this accomplished. Lord Jesus, we praise you, God, for your word is powerful. Your kingdom is mighty. We have, as Sarah said, we have kingdom authority. We have kingdom authority. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, you, you set Jeremiah up to, uh, to break down, tear down kingdoms and to set up kingdoms. 
Lord, and you're calling us, many of us, to the same same militant mindset of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be going into that prison to demolish kingdoms, Lord, the territories, things where people set themselves up as God, and you say, no, 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 you're not God. You don't set yourself up as God. Lord, in the workplace, there's territorialism that occurs. Lord, there's, there's, uh, there's kingdoms, little kingdoms that emerge. And Lord, we've been established there, Lord, to see that those kingdoms are toppled, Lord God, with love, with truth, with grace, but toppled altogether. Lord, the kingdom of heaven is to be established here on earth, Lord. And I pray that as we go out those doors today, that these words would ring in our ears, Lord, the kingdom of here, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's near, and I want to be a part of it. Thank you, Jesus. That's why we pray. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lord, that's why we pray this, is because your kingdom was to be established and is to be established here on earth. Lord, and we play a big part in this. So I thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to go in this revelation, in the power of this revelation this week. Lord, studying the scriptures, understanding them better. Lord, and we praise you and we worship you, Lord, for it. In your name I ask these things. Amen.